welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, pretty good start to the morning, huh? Amen. Man, I'm loving it. I've gotten to go swimming twice, so pretty full day for me already. We uh, began a new sermon series last week called Made New. We're going to be in it this morning and for the next several weeks, and we're talking about what it looks like to be made new in Christ. And we began last week talking about the fact that you and I in Christ are a new creation, uh, that there is a fundamental shift or change to our identity and the way that we relate to God, and as a result, the way that we relate to the world around us and people around us. And Uh, kind of began looking at that certainty of our new identity in Christ, and we're going to continue kind of moving forward with that to how to live that out, how to live out that new life as a new creation. I love that it's Baptism Sunday. Uh, It is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to die to your old self and to be raised to new life in Christ Jesus. And for me, one of the things that's uh, fun about this type of a service is I get to meet with everybody ahead of time, and I get to hear a little bit about their stories. And I, I love testimonies. Some of you uh, may be storytellers, you may enjoy that as well. But my favorite testimonies are the type of testimonies where when somebody is speaking of their old life, that it, you can't even imagine it where it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to you. It's, it's like they're speaking about a character in another story. They're so different. They're so completely changed and transformed from the inside out that it's almost incredulous to even imagine them having been that person. Uh, I remember just as I was growing up, my dad would share a little bit of his journey of coming to faith, and he was 21 when he gave his life to Jesus, and when he describes his life before that, it's as if he's speaking about a different person. Uh, I only knew him as a man who had followed after the Lord, and those are my favorite types uh, of stories that when uh, what you see and what you know of the individual uh, is only their new life in Christ, and it's, it's, it's like their old life reads as a fiction. Uh, Now, we know that those uh, who journeyed with us in our old life would be like, no, no, they were really like that, and it is an absolute miracle that they are different. But those kind of uh, testimonies are, are my favorite because what they do is they demonstrate very, very practically what it looks like to live new life, to be made new as you look at this person and you can't even consider them as other than they are. And as a new creation that we talked about last week, as a new creation, you have received new life in Christ. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, you have new life. And this new way uh, of living is meant to transform every other aspect of your present life, all uh, uh, extending into eternity. That the new life that you have in Christ, it's not just you have a new life that you get to open up someday when you get to heaven, but he has come that you would have life now, that you would begin to live into the plans and purposes of God to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God now in preparation for an eternity or a never-ending life like that with him. And so the question, just for you to consider before we get started this morning, is, is are you living that way? 
having new life in Christ, are you experiencing that in your practical, your day-to-day, your interactions with others? Is there uh, this new, vibrant, abundant, fulfilling, fruitful life that you're experiencing? And, and if, if so, uh, we want to celebrate that. And if there's areas where you're saying, well, you know what, uh, that doesn't seem to be there yet, I just want you to consider what that area might be and why that might be. Uh, and we're going to talk about what it means to live new life today. If you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and pull it out. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, you can download that, and uh, you could have that probably on your device before we get done praying. But let's go before the Lord. Lord, we acknowledge that your word is living and active, Lord, that it does work in our lives. Lord, that it's not a, a passive or a static word. Lord, we acknowledge that your word is truth. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us today, that you would give us the leading of your Holy Spirit um, and give us a courage to put it into practice, to act on it, um, to put it into our daily living in Jesus' name, amen. With your Bible out, you can go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. That's going to be the first uh, passage of Scripture that we look at this morning, Uh, and in this passage... Uh, Paul actually bridges the idea of baptism, something that we got to celebrate today, with this idea of living a new life. You've got your Bibles, you can read along uh, just quietly, or you can check it out up on the screen. Paul says this, he says, we were therefore buried with him, the him being Jesus in this context, so we were buried with Jesus through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Some of the translations would say that we would walk in newness of life to make sure that we understand that the phrasing isn't just like we've received a gift and we hold it and it's like, this is nice, but it's something that we receive that then impacts the way that we live our lives out going forward, that it's not just something that we receive, but it's something that we live out, that it permeates the particular interactions of our day-to-day activity, or at least it is intended to do that. And considering this idea of having received new life and walking in new life, one commentator uh, really zeroed in on the idea of life being the fundamental distinguishing factor between those who are saved in Christ Jesus and those who aren't. And he worded it this way. He said, the difference between one who is Christian and one who is not can be summed up in one word, life. One has spiritual life while the other is absolutely dead. And this idea of light and dark, this idea of death and life, it's the dominant metaphor used in Scripture to describe what it looks like to live apart from God and what it looks like to be reconciled to God, what it looks like to be an enemy of God or what it looks like to be a child of God, what it looks like to have uh, been lost or found. Any of those other things can be zeroed down to this idea of kind of light and dark and life and death, and it gives kind of the fundamental difference or picture. But when it's talking about this idea of life, it's not just a change of eternal direction, right? It's not just uh, something that is... Uh, You receive it, and now you just have it and hold it, but it is something that permeates and influences all the other areas of life. At the end of that uh, verse 4 of Romans chapter 6, it says that we too may 
live a new life, that it's something that is active, not passive, that we get to walk it out, we get to enjoy it, that the new life that we've received in Christ now gets to be the dominant way that we enjoy the life that we're living, that we are living that new life out. And ultimately, what it's talking about is the difference between uh, having spiritual life and spiritual death. And I want to just give you a few ways to think about this. We don't have time this morning to dive deep into a a theology or a doctrine that fully addresses these ideas, but I do want to give you some places that you can hang some thoughts that will be helpful. What does spiritual life uh, look like? Spiritual life, as it's described in Scripture, is a life that you have in Christ that now brings the potential for that life to be had in every other area of the life that you're living. So that because of new life in Christ, you now can have that same capital L type of life in your relationships, uh, in your plans and purposes and the desires that God has for you, in your day-to-day interactions and your experiences, the way that you deal with conflict and the way that you meet challenges is fundamentally different when you are standing in the life of Christ versus just trying to strive in your own strength or to meet the systems of the world through the same brokenness that seems to compound them. Spiritual life brings the potential for that life to be experienced in your practical day-to-day natural interactions, your comings and your goings, your ins and your outs. And there's three things, if you're a note taker, that kind of identify spiritual life or three kind of big buckets that I would suggest that you can think about this week. It's not an exhaustive list, but they are helpful. Spiritual life is authentic. Like it's real, it's real life. And it has to do with understanding who you are in Christ, and so your identity is secure in him, and it's not something that's dependent on other people's opinions, it's not dependent on your career path, it's not dependent on your bank account, it's not dependent on your achievement record, that your identity isn't something that somehow changes and has to morph to somehow please people around you, that you become secure in who you are because you know who you are in relation to your heavenly Father because you are secure in Christ Jesus. New life brings an, authentic, uh, an authenticity excuse me, to understanding your identity. Uh, when you look at new life and the way that kind of Jesus talks about it and Paul unpacks it in the New Testament letters, new life is something that brings fulfillment. There's purpose and there's meaning uh, and many of us, we, we struggle with that question. Like, why am I here? Is there a plan or a purpose to my life? How can God use the difficult things of my past to somehow do something good? There seems to be this uh, thread of resurrection in Scripture where God brings beauty out of ashes, but how can he do that in the ashes of my past or in, of my present? Like, we wrestled these things out, but spiritual life, when it's lived out in a practical sense, brings a fulfillment, brings a plan and a purpose to the things of life. And the third thing that it brings is that there's a fruitfulness that comes as a result of this. Very often when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God being at work in people's lives and what it produces, he uses the metaphor of fruitfulness, that there is fruit, that there's health, that there's vitality, that there's even a multiplicity of what God is doing for his kingdom. And spiritual life looks like that, but there's a way that we're used to living before Christ, and a way that we slide into continuing to live when we align ourselves with the system of the world or the brokenness that's going on around us. And it's not spiritual life, it's spiritual death. And just like spiritual life brings the potential for that capital L life to be experienced in every other area of life, spiritual death brings a diminishing 
into every other area of life. That where God wants to do something authentic and speak of your identity with certainty, the world will offer you counterfeit and kind of less than type of an idea. You know, many of us, we like to buy generic, maybe not you, but me, I like I'll save a couple nickels and not go name brand. And that's fine when we're talking about Cheerios or just oat rings. But when you're talking about things of the spirit, when we decide that we're going to receive generic from the world, when we're going to take the counterfeit that the world has to offer, there's no fulfillment, there's no fruitfulness, there's no actually true understanding of who we are in relation to our Heavenly Father. It's always less and it's always worse. The world looks to bring a counterfeit and we end up understanding ourselves not through the eyes of Christ, but we understand ourselves as a false Self, instead of something being fulfilling, right? Many times when we engage in living into the brokenness of the world, it's not fulfilling, it's empty. And so many of us have had places in our lives where we pursued the wrong thing, where we had the wrong motives, where we had the, uh, the wrong purpose, where we were trying to pursue the wrong ends. And even after we got there, we weren't satisfied with what we found because it was empty. It, it, it wasn't what we had thought. It was sand that kind of slipped through our hands, and where spiritual life brings a fruitfulness, spiritual death always brings barrenness. It always brings barrenness. And this is why when Jesus was, uh, was teaching, he, he said this. He said, why would you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? It's, it's that concept. You can live life in a way where you are pursuing the wrong things, where you are not living out new life in him, but you are living out a spiritual death that always brings a diminishing return, and you're left with an emptiness at the end. And that's one of the common, uh, it's, it's one of the common truths and common teachings throughout uh, not just Jesus's ministry, but uh, one of the common things that is contrast in Paul's writings for us to kind of have to rustle out. There's this new way to live because of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he has done in us, and what he can do through us. There's this new life on offer, but there's this tendency for us to continue to experience and even align the activity of our life with living in this old way. And so there's kind of this tension that's often brought there. And Jesus often contrasted these truths, uh, and Scripture does as well. But one of my favorite chapters that kind of puts these things in a juxtaposition is in John chapter 10. And we don't have time to read uh, the whole chapter this morning. I'm actually going to encourage you in our action steps to read John chapter 10 sometime this week. So there you go. There's your homework. And some of you who are overachievers, you're not even going to listen to the rest of this message. You're just going to start getting your homework done. You know, pastor's going to know. The Holy Spirit's going to tattle on me. Just stay with me until we're done this morning. But in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, Jesus uses the metaphor of sheep keeping to bring about this kind of this contrast between life and death. It's the chapter where Jesus assigns the moniker of good shepherd to himself and contrasts him to the different ways that others who would come as counterfeits may interact with us. It's the place where he says, my sheep know my voice and they're not going to listen to the voice of a stranger. It's going to talk about the way that he would lay down his life, that he would not just give his life but he would give life to the flock. It's in that context that we have all of this kind of spoken out. And Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd. And then in that chapter, he contrasts himself with others. And the others are this. One is the thief. He says, I'm the good shepherd, but there is another, and it is a thief. And the thief only comes to steal or to kill or to destroy. The thief comes to take. 
And can I tell you, when you look at the difference between uh, being uh, made new in Christ and living that out, or living an old life that is still under spiritual death, one costs much more than the other, and death will always rob you of the things that God is trying to do. The second contrast that Jesus has in there is between the good shepherd and then the hired hand. The hired hand is just somebody who's working for gain. It's just kind of a transactional type of interaction, and there's no real commitment, right? And if you don't give me the paycheck, I'm not going to continue to work. And, and he contrasts himself between another world system that would be kind of contractual, where it's like, okay, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you love me, then I'll love you, the ways that uh, oftentimes human transaction works, but he calls himself the good shepherd and shows us a different way to live new life. And then the third one has to do with the good shepherd or the voice of the stranger. There is one that would come that would look to influence your life that actually doesn't have relationship and has no authority. But Jesus has both. He offers us relationship and he has authority to speak into our lives. And the good shepherd in the chapter is the only one that would lay down his life to preserve the flock. And what you see is that Jesus not only gives his life, but he gives us life. And so as you unpack the chapter, you see kind of this, this tension or this contrast, contrast between what it means to have new life following the good shepherd or to experience old broken life following something that would be a counterfeit or a less than. And so we come to kind of a, a, a question that kind of gets down to the nitty-gritty practical side of this. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any number of years, you've probably heard that you have new life in Christ. You can probably uh, think about a time where you experienced that or you knew that in certainty to be true. You might have kind of these high points of, of kind of spiritual growth or maturity that you would celebrate but you would also probably have other areas of your life that don't look Christ-like, that don't look like there's life or fruitfulness or they're not fulfilling and you're not really even sure who you are. If I, if I have new life in Christ, if I'm a new creation and I have new life because of what Christ has done in me and that new life can be experienced in the way that I go about living my life, then why are there areas of that living it out that don't look like they have life, right? Isn't, isn't that kind of the tension? Isn't that the rub? I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Those of you at home, do this as an exercise as well. I know that I can't see you, but Jesus is watching. Close your eyes for a moment, and I just want you to, I want you to think, quiet your heart and allow the Lord to speak to you. Is there an area of your life right now that is unfruitful? that is unfulfilled, an area that seems to be kind of less than what you would understand real life to be. You can go ahead and open your eyes. I think most of us could identify one or more areas. We may even be in a season of life that feels that way. Why, why does that have a tendency to happen? There's a number of reasons why that can be. That can be because we're dealing with challenges. We can be dealing with spiritual warfare. We can be dealing with the consequences of a past and still having to kind of unravel uh, the consequence. Even though we're free, there's still things that follow us as a result of that that have to be dealt with and redeemed and restored and reconciled. All of those things can be true. But what I have found often in my own life and in walking in 
the lives of others is that oftentimes the area that I'm seeing, not spiritual life being expressed, but spiritual death, has become an area where I have begun to operate not as the new me in Christ, but where I have gone back to the old me before. Paul uses the language this. He says that we have put on our old self when we find, our, when we find ourselves in, in that place, that we're not walking out as a new creation that we aren't living out a new life, but we've kind of gone back to the wardrobe and grabbed our old lucky shirt that's all worn and torn, but it still kind of feels good, and we assume that we fit in it, and we put it on, and we kind of go back to our old patterns of living. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Paul gets to a place where he is bringing a correction to the church as a whole, and they're not, they're not living out a daily living that is honoring of the Lord. They're not interacting with one another in a way that is Christ-like or indicative of new life. In fact, they look a lot like they did before they said yes to Jesus, and so he's bringing kind of some correction and redirection to them, and in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, he says this. He says, do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And Paul uses this kind of this picture of taking off the old and putting on the new. He uses this often, frequently, when he is dealing with issues of living out this newfound identity in Christ Jesus. Because we struggle with that if we're honest. I know I'm new in Christ, but I still have my anger issues. I know I'm new in Christ, but I'm still struggling with this area of addiction. I know that I'm new in Christ, but it seems to me that in this area, I don't demonstrate great faith. We all have kind of those little things that as we have great maturity gains in one spiritual arena, the Holy Spirit will come and convict us of another area of our life now that needs to be made into alignment so we have kind of this, uh, this tension and this push and pull as we are growing. But Paul reminds us that we are to live out this new life, that there is a new self in Christ and that the old self needs to be discarded. I've gone through a number of uh, times in my uh, married life where a shirt that was my favorite uh, needed to go. Like, has, have any of you experienced that? It, when, we, when, we were early, when we were early married, I would say things like this, hey, uh, where's my shirt? And it would be like, I'm not actually sure, which wasn't a lie because she actually wasn't sure where it went after she got rid of it. As we've matured and grown and, and we can interact in a little bit more maturity, more maturity in our marriage, my wife will just say, that shirt has to go. Like, you think it looks good, and it has no longer served that purpose. Like, it's, it's time to make some changes. You know, and those things can be hard. Like, I had, I had a shirt that I wore uh, to Thailand. It was one of my favorite traveling shirts. We do a lot of missions work over there, and we've done so since 2012. Uh, I had six years' worth of the same shirt being in all of my missions pictures, and I thought, you know, maybe it's time to get another shirt. <laughs> Sometimes the, the, it's, it's, it's comfortable, it's familiar. We want to put it on. The old self needs to go. And I, and I need to tell you something that, that hopefully is helpful for you. The old self does not fit anymore. Some of us have that shirt that we've kind of grown. We'll say we've grown out of it. 
Some of us have that shirt that we've grown out of and we're saying, you know what, someday I'm going to get back into that shirt, right? There's a, maybe a fitness goal related to that. You will never put on the old self again and have it fit correctly. You are new in Christ Jesus. And you will never put on the old self and experience life that is fulfilling and fruitful. You will always struggle to get it back on, and the life that you live in that old way will always bring a diminishing return. Sin always takes. The thief always robs and kills and destroys. It always diminishes, mars, marks, and malfigures whatever it touches. The old self just needs to go. And sometimes we long for the past in a way that is deceptive to us. There's an element to, at times, nostalgia being something where we long for what never actually was. And you see this in the people of God as they're traveling uh, out of Egypt, as they come up to the Red Sea and they start saying, hey, it was better for us to be in Egypt than to die in the desert. They made that complaint even after Jesus delivered them and they were in their desert wanderings, or, or excuse me, after God delivered them and they were in the desert wanderings and he was providing manna and he was caring for their daily needs and they would often grumble and they would say, we were better off in Egypt. Really? You were better off in overwhelming oppression, in generational slavery. You were better off being misused and abused. You were better off being physically tormented. You were better off there. Well, probably not, but I don't like walking around in the sand. Sometimes we think about the past in ways that it never actually was. And if you need an example of that, just grab somebody who was a standout athlete in high school and let them tell you their stories and then gather around some of the other teammates and have them go, he wasn't that fast. He wasn't that good. Man, I jump higher and I run faster in my stories than I probably ever did in real life. And I'll just say I misremembered it, but if you don't call me on it, that'll just be the shared memory that we have together. There, there is a need for us to put off the old self. And I want to give you three things to think about that can help you do that this week. So if there's an area in your life right now, if you've got a relationship that is not something that you see the life of Christ in, but there's still kind of brokenness, there's still uh, hurt, there's still offense, what can you begin to do in that area? If there is an attitude of your heart or a desire of your heart, is there, if there is a perspective you know, if there's a conflict that you're looking at addressing and you're not going to do it in a way that's honoring of the Lord and you're not going to do it in a way that is buttressed by the faith of Christ in you in this new life, but you're going to meet it in kind of the same old way that you used to meet it, whether it was running away or punching somebody in the throat, like however that might look. Like if you're struggling in an area of your life, if when you close your eyes, the Holy Spirit whispered to you and said, this area has no life in it, what can you do today? How can you respond today? And the first thing that we can do, if you're a note taker, you can write this down, is you have to recognize there's a choice. I want to I underscore that for you. There is a choice. The area of your life that right now is not fruitful, it does not have to remain unfruitful. The area of your life that lacks fulfillment, it does not have to stay unfulfilling. That the life that Jesus offers us is a life that is to be lived to the full. In John 10.10, Jesus says that he has come, that we would have life and have it to the full, or have abundant life, some translations say. The, the message version uh, that gives a kind of a paraphrase says that Jesus has come, that we would have real and eternal life, better life than we ever dreamed. If you've got an area of your life 
that does not have life in it, what can you do? You can recognize first that there's a choice. And if you haven't made a decision for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, can I tell you that's actually the only choice that you have today? Because apart from Christ, there is no life. There is no new life until you are made new in Christ. And so you can continue to struggle. You can put forth your own effort. You can strive. And you can look to try to create the perfect life that you've always wanted. But the end of it, but you would have gained the whole world and you would have lost your soul. It will be empty at the end if you go about it in your own effort. Your only decision today is to turn to Jesus. And if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior... The decision now isn't whether or not he's going to be your Lord and Savior. The decision becomes, are you going to be the new self or are you going to put on the old self? Are you going to address that issue of life in the same old way, through the same old broken systems of the world, the same old habits, the same old thought processes, the same old, just in your own effort, your own strength, and your own security, or are you going to put down the old self that is only looking to gratify itself, and are you going to walk in the new self in Christ? Are you going to walk out that new life? You have to recognize that there's a choice, and then we have to acknowledge that there are areas in our life that aren't fruitful, and are unfulfilled. Sometimes we want to whitewash over that. We want to look at maybe issues of our character, and we would just want to say, well, you know what? God made me that way. Can I tell you something? God doesn't make things broken. God wants to make you whole. If you're a person who struggles with addiction because your parents were addicts and your grandparents were addicts, and that just kind of seems to be something in your family tree, you do not have to acquiesce to that being your legacy that you pass on to your kids. You can be set free in Jesus' name. You do not have to be what you once were. You can walk in freedom in Christ. If your father was angry and prone to being physical and you have found that to be something that you're struggling with, you do not have to be an angry and violent person. You do not have to live life that way. You can be changed and you can walk in freedom. And that old self can die and be buried and the new self can be raised up in Christ in your life. You don't have to be that way. But we have to acknowledge those areas exist and not whitewash them over, not just say, well, I was just kidding or that's how I was or it will always be that way. We have to be willing to be honest before the Lord and say, this area of my life stinks like death. And God, I'm bringing it to you and I'm acknowledging it and I'm saying, I can't deal with this on my own. Will you help me? And he meets us in that space. And so the third thing that we do in that place is then we begin to apply the truth of God's word to that area of life. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uses a parable to, to illustrate what it looks like to apply the truth of his words to our lives versus not. And he uses the parable of two people who are building a structure, and one builds it on a solid foundation, and the one builds it on the sand. And there's a storm that comes, and the one that is built on the solid foundation, it stands against the storm. It is held up, and the other one collapses. And he says, but like the one who built their house on the rock is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. And so we need to recognize that there's a choice. We need to acknowledge those areas that have no life, and then we begin to apply the word of God in that area as a response. Church family, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to take a few moments to allow the Lord to speak to our hearts as we respond today. Worship team, if you would come back forward.
As we're doing that again, I'm gonna ask you to, to close your eyes. And I wanna revisit that question. Is there an area of your life? Is there an area of your life that lacks real life? Maybe for you, it's an issue of character. Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe for you, it's a general, a, a general posture you have towards the world or towards the church or towards the others. Maybe for you, you have been pursuing the wrong purpose, the wrong meaning. Maybe for you, you've been chasing things that promise fulfillment that are empty. There's no real lasting life apart from Christ in any area of the practical place in our life that we live apart from him, there's no real and lasting life there either. And it's possible for you and I to have new life in Christ and to be assured of our salvation and assured that we'll be spending eternity with him, that we have changed the, the, the fundamental ending to our story. It's possible for us to be, to be saved and to still live a life that lacks fruitfulness to still live a life that's unfulfilled because we put the old man on and we play the old game the way that the world works. We accept the counterfeits and we find ourselves empty. There's no real lasting life apart from Christ. In John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus, we come to you today. We acknowledge that you are life and that apart from you, there is no other, that there is no real lasting life without you. We thank you that in you, we also have this life and that this life can be something that impacts our daily living, that in areas of daily living, we can live this out. But in those areas that seem to lack your life, in areas where we still put on our old self and that we walk in the counterfeit and empty and barren ways of this world, Lord, in those areas, we surrender those to you today. If there was an area in your life, as you close your eyes, the Lord showed you that there's no life in that area, you would surrender to that to him today. If you would just put your hands out in front of you, offer that to him. Lord, we give you those places that need new life. We know that we've been made new in Christ, that we are new creations, and as a result, we have received new life in him. Now, Lord, help us to live that out, that we would live a new life as a result of that. Give us ears to hear your voice. Give us a hunger in our heart for your words. And Lord, give us a strength to put them into practice this week in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I believe that he is going to do that, that in your earnest heart as you prayed that, that he's already begun that work. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, go ahead and pull it out. You can snap a picture here of our action steps for this week. I already gave you the heads up. you got homework. I want you to read John chapter 10 this week at your leisure. Uh, second thing is consider what it means to have Jesus as your good shepherd as you go through that chapter. And then maybe ask this question, how can you respond in listening to his voice and following his lead.